everyone, and welcome to Magical Streaming, a podcast where we watch Disney Plus and then tell you some things about it. My name is Amber. My name's Marie. And today is a listener's choice episode. <laughs> However, <laughs> we assumed because a title was showing up in the search that it meant that it was actually on Disney Plus. And just so you know, that's not the case. Nope. So. Even though Mary Poppins Returns was technically the winner, it's not actually on Disney Plus yet, and it won't be until early 2021. Yeah, I think it's on Netflix still. Well, same with Christopher Robin, which also (laughs) won't be on Disney Plus until uh, later this year. So, the next next closest... next time we'll do better research... Today, (laughs) we will be talking about Saving Mr. Banks, which is based on Mary Poppins, sort of. So, close enough. It's the same vein. It's more, it's closer than Tomorrowland. That's very true. So, here we go. Marie, why don't you give us, and the good people, the summary from Disney+. Plus? Alright, so, synopsis for Saving Mr. Banks on Disney+, Plus is as follows. Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson bring to life the untold story behind Walt Disney's 20-year effort to transform the beloved book Mary Poppins into one of the most treasured movie classics of all time. Okay, I'm going to immediately start with something about us. You have not seen Mary Poppins. I had seen it once. I owned the DVD. But... You had not I didn't seen see it, in it many as a child. Years. I didn't see it as a child because we didn't own it. Um, we own bed knobs and broomsticks. You weird weirdos. <laughs> it's not it's a very good movie. But Mary Poppins is iconic. And you know what? The thing is we watched Saving Mr. Banks with our friends also at one point and neither of them had seen Mary Poppins either so we watched yes with Veronica and Miranda at Veronica's house we watched Saving Mr. Banks and we all watched it and then they were like you know I've never seen Mary Poppins and I was like what do you mean you've never seen this was an affront to me because Mary Poppins is so iconic and I grew up with Mary Poppins the first time I watched Mary Poppins, the reason why I didn't re-watch it for a lot of time... Don't you dare! ...is because I thought it was boring. How? Get out! <laughs> Get out! I'm looking for a new podcast co-host. <laughs> Shut up. I've grown to appreciate it now. It's still not my favorite live-action-ish movie that Disney has put out. It's not my favorite live-action movie either. But, like, even in the sense... I'm not talking with all the live-action remakes they've made now. Even without taking those in consideration. I I like that Nomin sticks better. You weirdo. You're wrong. I am not wrong. It's a very good movie. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about now. We are talking about Saving Mr. Banks. And it came out... uh, It had actually three different release dates for if you count Australia, because it was uh, co-produced between the U.S. and England, so it had a U.K. release date, an American release date, an Australian release date, and it was presented at a film festival, so a release date before that. Because we're in North America, I'm going to give the uh, U.S. release date, which was December 13, 2013. The film had a budget of $35 million in 2013 money, which... Today is $38,864,382.70. And in the box office, it brought in $117.9 million in 2013 money, which today is $130,917,949.14. So the journey to saving Mr. Rex. Marie is so mad she won't even look at me right now. Started way back in 2002 when a documentary about PL Travelers called The Shadow of Mary Poppins was seen um, by somebody who was interested in making the film. And Sue Smith wrote a screenplay which was then revised by Kelly Marcel. The problem they ran into, of course, is that you can't tell this story without getting Disney on board. It's impossible. Well, yeah, because... 
basically, if you try to go to any other studio with it, Disney will give you a cease and desist. Exactly. But why would any <laughs> other studio make a movie about Walt Disney? Right. So, in November 2011, um, Bob Iger and Disney were informed that this screenplay was going around, and they had three options. One, buy it themselves and make it. Two, put it in a production limbo that will last forever and they'll just give up on it. Or three, just flat out refuse to give any permission at all. But they decided to move forward with it. Now the script had already undergone some rewrites because back in 2010, Robert Sherman put out a memoir entitled Moose Chapters from My Life. <laughs> Interesting. And one of those chapters was about making the music for Mary Poppins and, and the entire Travers. Yeah, very many anecdotes from that. So Marcel uh, Kelly Marcel really took a lot of that and incorporated it into the script. And Disney came in to the project. There was a lot of apprehension on both sides. On Kelly on Marce, on Kelly Marcel's side, that they were going to try and sanitize everything and you know downplay uh, any negative aspects, which in some places they did. We'll get to that. Um, and on Marcel's side, um, Disney's and on Disney's side, that this was going to tarnish the reputation of Walt. So, luckily, there wasn't a lot of back and forth on many issues. They they really worked together. And in 2012, um, casting started. Bob Iger went straight to Tom Hanks and asked him if he wanted to play Walt Disney. And Tom Hanks was like, yeah, yes. I will. <laughs> it is akin to a, like playing Picasso. This is the kind of influential role that you just cannot turn down. Yeah, and then you also, like, you need someone that you can trust and that you know people will respect to right. play that kind of a role. Exactly. Now, for P.L. Travers, they were originally eyeing Meryl Streep, which I'm glad that did not work out. Um, she just would not sign on for the project. So Emma Thompson was the next choice and she was negotiating and in talks. April 2012, she was in. It was done. Um... And then production went pretty well. Almost everything was filmed in uh, Southern California, including the scenes that were supposed to be in England and Australia. It was all pretty much filmed in California. Burbank Studios. Yep. So you want to tell us some the, oh, awards. It was nominated for 62 awards, including a Golden Globe nomination for Emma Thompson for her portrayal, including a Grammy for the score. Um, but it only won 12 awards, and none of the really big, big ones that we're used to seeing. It ran awards from the American Film Institute, the Las Vegas Film Critics Society, the National Board of Review, the Palm Springs International Film Festival, the UK Regional Critics Film Awards, and Women in Film and TV Awards. And the Women in Film and TV Awards was for Kelly Marcel and her screenwriting. Which, fun fact, she also wrote the Fifty Shades of Grey screenplay. So people contain layers and multitudes, and that's that's the the truth <laughs> that if there was any bigger proof of that but you know she worked with what she had yeah anyway a very different movie experience <laughs> all right so starting with some trivia now mm -hmm. uh now it's no like it's no secret that pl travers was not happy with the adaptation of mary poppins they do gloss over it a little bit in the movie like in the sense that while they're watching it, she seems, except like when she's really annoyed by the cartoons, she seems to be enjoying herself. Like at the end, it looks like she's pretty, 
pretty happy, pretty content with right how. So that's that's one of the parts I think that they did kind of downplay. Of course, because was in how, the movie like, they make it seem like she's crying because she's like thinking back to her father and stuff. And in reality, she was very frustrated and upset with how it turned out. So she did cry at the movie, but it was for different reasons. Yeah. Um. So. There was apparently a rare 1977 interview uh, in which she said that she's seen it one or twice and she'd learned to live with it. Um, She commented that it was glamorous and a good film on its own level, but didn't think it was very much like her book. However, in 1994, Cameron McIntosh, who... um, wasn't basically produced a lot of big Broadway shows. Yes. Uh, approached her to make a musical theater version of Mary Poppins. And at first, she completely, like, she refused because the movie had made her never want to allow anyone to work on any adaptation of her books ever again. So clearly, even though she'd learned to live with it, she was still yeah, not happy. Yeah, she was happy. not on board. She was never happy with the results of it. Um, the, she did end up agreeing to it because, as we know, Mary Poppins is right. a musical that you can see on... I don't know if it's still on Broadway now, but it's still... I mean, nothing's on Broadway right now. Okay. <laughs> Let's not go there. It's a dark, dark time for everywhere, but especially Broadway, which is always so lit up. Literally. Anyway, um, yeah, I was going for the literal dark. I, I, yeah. I understand puns. Okay. Um, yeah, so it did allow it to be made. However, one of the stipulations that she put in, because she agreed and then Macintosh wanted to use songs from the movie, and again she was like, no, no, no. But she agreed again. But then her final stipulation was that no Americans could participate in the development. (laughs) And also, um, she refused, and that included um, anyone that was involved with the movie version. Because Robert B. Sherman and Richard M. Sherman were both still alive and working at that time. So, she was like... No, nobody that worked on the movie. I don't want them working on the musical. And no Americans. <laughs> no Americans. Yeah. Um, they did come up with a development of the stage adaptation after that that basically didn't involve anyone from Disney per her wishes. But then she died. <laughs> yep. In 1996. And at that point... Uh, the Walt Disney Company was allowed some degree of creative involvement uh, and they went on to co-produce the musical. Yes. And obviously we know now also like with Mary Poppins Returns, obviously they've obtained more rights. I don't know if it's because her family has given them rights. I'm or not sure. I didn't look that up. I guess up. We'll, when we get to uh, Mary Poppins we'll, Returns. We'll do it. I was also going to say... Um... Like, during the Festival of Arts at Epcot, they do have frequently um, one of the performers is someone who played Mary Poppins on Broadway. So again, it shows that Disney now has a very good relationship with the the Broadway production. Well, yeah, Disney never really had a bad relationship with Broadway <laughs> production. That was all P.L. Travers. Um, which, I mean, when we get to hot takes, we'll go a little bit over right. those kind of aspects. Um, now, Unlike what they show in the movie, P.L. Travers never actually really warmed up to Let's Go Fly a Kite. It was actually Feed the Bird that won her over. Interesting. Which is interesting because this was Walt's absolute favorite song. Yes. And one of the... And, like, you can kind of see, like, there's a bit of an emotional weight in the scene where they're featuring that song in the movie. And there is, like... Richard Sherman has shared that sometimes Walt would just drop by his and Robert's office and ask him to play the song if he was feeling down. Um, And, like, it got to the point where he would basically just show up in the office and say, play it, and they automatically know what he meant and what he wanted. And according to Richard M. Sherman, 
Um, Walt felt that the song was a perfect summation of why he created Walt Disney Pictures in the first place. And honestly, like, Feed the Birds is my favorite song from Mary Poppins. Really? Yeah. It is not my favorite. It's so... It is hauntingly beautiful, but it makes so me beautiful. sad. It's like... It, no, it doesn't make me sad. It makes me... I don't know. There's kind of a peace to it. Like, it's peaceful. It's It makes me sad. <laughs> like, no, it doesn't make me sad. Anyway. It's my favorite. Okay, well. My favorite is Step in Time. Well, yeah, that's a very different... <laughs> I love Step in Time. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of it. Get out! We have very different music tastes. If there's one, like, we have either, we either love the exact same thing, and then everything that's like shades of gray is, then we're on complete opposites. (laughs) With books, with movies, with music. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's really just Disney that ties us together. I mean. In terms of movies. Well, no, there's a lot of movies. I was, I was just about to list off, like, a plethora <laughs> of things. But let's get back to saving the, Mr. Banks. Yeah. Uh, now, when, in the movie scene, when they're discussing changing the first name for Mrs. Banks, uh, the list of names that they go through are the names that do actually end up in Mary Poppins, which are the names that the penguins go through when they're talking ah, to Bert about, like, the... Mavis, Cynthia... Yeah. Yep. And, um, the, another, like, there were two particular scenes, because obviously this is an adaptation, so. Right. They did. Um, Adapt. Based, yeah, they adapted, they based off a lot of true facts, but some of them were fictionalized, if you'd like, or just completely fake. Um, one of those was actually in the scene at the end, towards the end, when Walt actually goes to visit P.L. Travers in her London house. Right. Uh, in reality, he just called her. Because, you know. Yeah. But just jumping on the plane and, yeah, no, probably at his age and his health condition probably wasn't really in shape to yeah. take that long of flight. I agree. Um, however, what he told Travers about his father is true and that is the basis of the discussion that they had was basically retelling of his own childhood and some of the things that he went through. Uh, Another scene, which is fictional, is when Walt takes P.L. Travers on a personal tour of Disneyland. Uh, There were plans to do so on Easter Sunday in 1961, um, but he ended up canceling last minute because he said he had a cold, uh, which potentially, I mean, we don't no, but did he really have a cold? Was he like, nah, I can't deal with her right now? Who knows? Was it uh, a bigger health issue? Because at that point, right. he was nearing the end of his life. Um, but he did send an employee uh, who was, well, story editor, Bill Dover, to act as her guide. So she did go to Disneyland, but poss- probably did not ride on the carousel. Did not ride on Jingles? No, I don't <laughs> believe she did. I would be very surprised if she did. Uh, one piece of this entire sequence, however, which is true, is the scene in which Walt is handing out pre-signed autographs cards to fans because he always did carry them with him when he was out in public. And I mean, it makes sense. It's a it's lot efficient. faster. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Also, for the Disneyland sequence, they did block off parts of the theme park because you can't just film a movie while the park is in full operation of course um, not because you need also you need everyone to be in costume you can't just have people running around like in yeah, crop right. tops and yeah. short shorts being like what's up yeah but uh so yeah they blocked off uh the castle the main well main street of usa obviously Fantasyland, and the astro orbiter uh which was done from november 6th to november 7 2012 and the park's cast members were hired as extras. That is which so is cool. like That is such a perk. That's the biggest perk of being a cast member at Disney is celebrities coming in the park. 
Yeah. And, like, you probably don't get to interact with most of them unless you're a VIP tour guide. But you seem Or you're like, named Samantha and you just happen to be working when Josh Gad comes by. Yeah. And then you like, become famous on Twitter. Yeah, pretty much. But, you know, you can still be like, Tom Hanks was two meters away from me. That is the most Canadian thing you've ever done. What? You just said Tom Hanks was two meters away from me. Okay. Like, anybody knows what a meter is. Well, I'm very focused on meters right now because that's how they're talking about social distancing. <laughs> Feet. No, for us, they say one to two meters, at least. Three to six feet. You know what? Get out of here. One to two yards. A yard isn't a me- is not a is a yard a meter? It's almost, yeah. That's why a yardstick and a meter stick, they're just opposite sides. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> so there's about uh, three feet in a meter. There's a little more because one feet is 30 centimeters because a 12 inch. I said about. Yeah, well, anyway. Now, the audio tape. (laughs) I'm just getting back on track. You know, we get off track every single episode. It's just, it's going to keep happening. It's a matter of life. Yeah. But we're not interesting people. We don't have interesting lives. So, our getting off track is never interesting. If you want to know about Metric versus Imperial System, it's super interesting. <laughs> it's the place to be. Um, the audio tapes from the working session between P.L. Travers and Disney and his, well, his mostly his team, amounted to 39 hours. Yikes. Which were fully accessible to Kelly Marcel, Tom Hanks, and Emma Thompson. Dame, sorry, Dame Emma Thompson. Um... Thompson actually said that she listened to all of them in preparation for the role and that the experience was like, quote, being poked in the ear with hot forks. So, I mean, they do uh, actually, we didn't really, we didn't let the uh, end credits roll this time around. But if you do let the end credit rolls, there is, they do play some of the tapes Right. During the credits. You, do you have any, because I saw some fun facts about Emma Thompson and her preparation for the role. Uh, do you have anything else about her? I don't think so. I think most of the preparation I have is Tom Hanks's actually. Okay. So, Emma Thompson does not like wigs, so she, that is her hair. And she got it styled in that way so that she would not have to wear a wig. <gasps> oh, what a flex. <laughs> Right? Yeah. That's her hair the entire movie. And that was her hair in real life. That's rough. Yeah. That's dedication for you. You know, if you hate something, (laughs) you'll go through any length to avoid it. I guess so. I I can't think of a reason to hate wigs that much, but I guess, you know, to each their own. Yeah, I don't... I've never actually worn a wig, so I wouldn't know how uncomfortable it is. Don't look at me like that. No, but... Okay, so is that the only fact that you have? I have one about Tom Hanks as well, relating to his appearance. Um, Well, Tom Hanks, what I have is basically, like, the production team was extremely meticulous about his appearance being perfect for the portrayal of Disney. Yes! So, they went as far as measuring the exact length of his mustache. Yes! I also saw that. That he grew his own mustache, but they were like, whoa, 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 and like measured it to make sure that it was the right <laughs> length. Like, okay, we're gonna need to keep an eye on that mustache. You gotta keep it keep it tight. Yeah. Um, now, this movie was the first theatrical movie with Disney as a lead or supporting character since The Reluctant Dragon. Yeah. It was the first time anybody had portrayed Walt Disney before, and that's why it was such a big deal to Tom Hanks, and why it was such a big deal that they picked someone like Tom Hanks who could carry it out. Honestly, I cannot think of anyone better that they could have picked. And actually, Tom Hanks is a distant cousin of Disney. Yes, that's true. But yeah, no, he was just perfect for the role. Uh, And he did do a few things in order to prepare for the role. 
Uh, he made several visits to the Walt Disney Family Museum in San Francisco. Um, he talked with some of Disney's relatives, including his daughter, Diane. Um, he watched all of the episodes of Disneyland and the Wonderful World of Color shows. So that basically, like, just for that one small sequence, which she watches in her hotel room, um, just to basically get a sense of how Disney presented himself on television. Um, and actually, for that sequence also, the anim- sorry, animator, Mark Han and the Special Projects Unit also studied it so that they could recreate the way Tinkerbell appears rather than just reuse the footage from the television show. I know something else. Tom Hanks, um, to get his accent right, that Midwestern accent, he would listen to a bunch of old footage and stuff, and then he would practice it while doing things like reading the paper so that he would get it down-packed to say whatever word might come up, because on a paper you don't know what's going to come next. So he also spent a lot of time trying to perfect that Midwestern accent that that Walt has. Yeah, because it's, you know, it's an accent. Sure it is. (laughs) No, but I mean it is. It's in the the same sense as when an American actor is playing a British role, they have to practice their but British But Tom accent. Hanks is already American. Yeah, but he's not from the Midwest. Okay, this might be me as a Midwesterner speaking, but most people would agree that we don't have a specific accent. Okay, that if but... if you didn't know, no, you but wouldn't know. It's not... Okay, you are from Michigan. He was from Misery. There's a difference in accents. He was not from Misery. He was he? from Missouri. Oh, well, same difference. <laughs> um, but no, like, there, and he did have, he has an accent. It's different from, like, not, not to say that everybody in Midwestern states, whichever they are, will have an accent. But Walt definitely had an accent. And you can tell Tom Hanks is portraying an accent. The way he speaks, it's not every single word, but there are some words that he's pronouncing a certain way. I just think that's the way that Walt talked. (laughs) Okay. I have a hard time with accents, everybody. When I first learned French, I did not realize that Marie's uncle had an accent. Although it is a strong and recognizable accent to most people, I just thought that was the way that he spoke. (laughs) Uh, one of the things also that Tom Hanks did, um, it wasn't so much preparation for the role, but he very much lobbied to show Walt as a smoker uh, because he wanted the portrayal to be accurate. Right. And obviously Walt was a big smoker. He smoked, uh, according to Robert B. Sherman, smoked up to two packs of cigarettes a day. Woo! Which is a lot, and they were non-filtered cigarettes. Yikes. No uh, wonder he died of lung cancer. Yeah. Um, so he wanted, like, yeah, that was one of the things that he wanted to display, but Disney still felt that smoking is not appropriate for a family movie. So the concession was to show what they showed, which is the aftermath of walk smoking uh, when he's stubbing out the cigarette, and he does mention how... He never lets anyone see him smoke, which was accurate because he didn't want to ruin his family-friendly image and the studio's family-friendly image. Um, also references to him being a smoker is hearing hearing him cough. Uh, often when he's meeting P.L. Travers, when he's on the phone with her, when he just before he walks into a room. Um, and, like, that was one of the things that... Robert B. Sherman told Tom Hanks is that you always knew when he was coming because you would hear him cough in the background from wherever he was. Um, and actually that, that makes me think um, some of the animators that including I think Bob Gurr that worked like with Walt and you know some of the animators that we see on yeah. the Imagineering Journey uh, story. Anyway, um, they were very, this movie made them very emotional because Walt was portrayed so impeccably 
and like they could just in the mannerism and the little quirks of the things that he would do when entering a room and so on um and uh i i found it interesting also i don't know i noticed i don't know if you noticed when we were watching it i don't know if you remember when we were watching after we watched bambi um we talked about how employees would use the phrase men in the forest yes when walt was coming and this is something that, that they do, in, do the movie. in the movie. Yes, I noticed that while we yeah, were watching. When he's coming into the room after they finish playing a spoonful of sugar, Don DeGrati says, men in the forest. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting because it ties back to yeah. uh, the like, displayed effect that we knew about it. Uh, and then the last little fact that I have, which is about um, the actress Lily Bigham who played Biddy the middle child, the young, um, P.L. Travers's younger sister, not right. the youngest, but the middle one. Yeah. Um, she formed a close bond with Colin Farrell during filming, and she did not know about his character's fate because she's not in the scene. So when they watched the movie for the first time, she cried hysterically oh, upon no. seeing him die on screen, oh, which is no. So sad because she's so little. Like she right. might be five or years old or so. Like four or five, yeah. Yeah, uh, and it, actually, like this wouldn't have been accurate because when, well, I don't know at the time of his death how old they all were. Right. Because it it happens pretty quickly in the flashbacks that they show. But P.L. Travers was only three years old when they moved to Alora. Okay. Yeah. So instead of now, they're showing her closer to like eight-ish but yeah so those are my facts so obviously um staying power here this is not you can't really rank it as staying power because because it's a it's a documentary yeah exactly well it's not it's it's a biopic yes exactly so obviously there's not going to be stuff around the parks because it's Oh, it's Walt Disney. <laughs> like, yeah. Like and it's P.L. And Travers it's Mary Poppins. And like, Mary Poppins. And, um... You know one thing that's interesting? Although she is the main... She plays the main character in the movie. And she was one of the very few things that P.L. Travers approved of. There is no point in time of the entire movie where they refer to Dame Julie Andrews or, like, talk about the casting of Mary Poppins. The only time is you see very briefly her lookalike who plays her at the premiere at the end of the movie. Right. And you do see the poster for Mary Poppins at the premiere as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, she does... um the only casting they really touch on is Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke, which P.L. Travers was like, nope. Adamantly against. And, and even actually Van Dyke himself has said that he thought he, like, even though he felt this was one of the best movies he'd ever been in, he did feel he was miscast for it. I can't think of. Dick Van Dyke is so good as Bert. I know. Yeah, no, he couldn't have had anybody else. Dick. Don't be silly. Don't be silly. You're great. He's so good. Um, I was just thinking about the... There's an interesting fact where she... Uh, P.L. Travers, like we talked about, never warmed up to the idea of animation in the film. Ever. And when she tried... She lobbied till the end to try and get it removed. And Disney was like, that boat has sailed, Pamela. You might have had final say over the script, but I had final say over the cut, mm-hmm. which was true. He had final directors. He had final cut privileges where she only had power over the script. So, yeah, uh, that was, I was like, wow, you wild, Walt. <laughs> yeah, like, um, one thing she did do, and actually as I was reading it, you know one scene that always sometimes i'm i'm like am i remembering it correctly or not is the stay awake scene because 
I think it has been removed from some versions because I don't re- I I remember seeing it, but I feel like whenever I rewatch the movie, it's not there anymore. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so it's possible. I think this is a deleted scene. I believe so. And because our, stay we away. have it as a Blu-ray, and that does include the deleted scenes. Because I know I, I feel like I've seen versions, and a lot, I feel like I see it without the scene. And actually, this is one thing that they wanted to cut, and it was Julie Andrews' favorite song from the movie. So she wrote to P.L. Travers, who also, that was one of the few songs that she liked, so she was the one to put her foot down and say, no, it's staying in the movie. Interesting. So, yeah, if it's... I, I do now wonder if it's a deleted scene or if there are some versions of I think the... it's a deleted scene. Yeah. Um, another thing is that was fictionalized is P.L. Travers had already signed over the rights by the time she came mm. to work with the Disney company. So, the whole... I don't want red in the film, which is just... <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it doesn't even... There is red in the film, so... Right, right, right. It's just her showing... Just, yeah, she was just flexing. Showing that she, he doesn't have the rights yet. But in reality, when this happened, he did have the rights already. Yeah. So... Well, she still had final script approval, Right, so. but she came to work on the final script approval, but the rights had already been signed over. Um, so hot takes... This movie is so sad. It does make me cry every single time. It's a very... I mean, I love it. It's a, it's it's so an amazing good, movie. Like, anyone who so hasn't seen it needs to see it. Sad. It is very sad. Um, which, I mean... That's because... You know what? I'm going to talk about it already. You know what the villain is in this movie? Alcohol. Alcoholism is the villain of this movie. And, wow, is it a strong, strong villain that makes things real sad. And then her mom attempts suicide. Yeah, that's real dark. And the whole time I'm just sitting there like, this child... I had actually forgotten about that part. ...needs so much therapy. Just... Buckets of therapy, please. It's so I mean, it's no sad. wonder she turned out the way she did. I mean, yeah. Also, um, in the movie, it shows as her inspiration for Mary Poppins being her aunt. mom's sister. Yeah. But in reality, it was her great aunt. Mm. So, uh, her great aunt Helen. So, it was her mom's aunt instead of her mom's sister. That was the... Um, inspiration for Mary Poppins. Yeah. And she was upset that in the movie we kind of softened down some of the harder edges of Mary Poppins' character to make her a little more likable. Likable. And she was not about that. Yeah, cuz ultimately you know, she's a very strict nanny. That's true. And you know, it's she straight up well, I don't want to touch too much on actual Mary Poppins, but she does straight up say in the movie, where would I be if I loved every children I looked after? And that's, like, so harsh to tell a kid. Basically straight up telling them, no, I do not love you. Go away, child. I mean, but there's a lot of straight up harsh things uh, that P.L. Travers herself says when they're talking about how the, the fact that they want to give Winifred, uh, you know, a suffragette so that she has something to do. Why would the kids need a nanny? Uh, if the mom doesn't have a job and she just straight up says you know what being a mom is a job and it's hard and some people shouldn't do it and you know she's referring to her own mother and you're like okay pl please go to therapy (laughs) well she really should have and like okay here's the thing this movie it does okay it displays her as a very unpleasant person it does kind of give you the backstory to sort of explain, or not explain, but like show, okay, she had a really rough childhood. To make so her more sympathetic. Exactly. To kind of excuse, in a way, the person that she became. Um, which ultimately it is a portrayal, but she was known to be a very ab- 
abrasive kind of person. Uh, I think one thing that does summarize what I think of this woman is she adopted someone, like she adopted a boy. Yes. Who was a twin. Yeah. And she straight up refused to adopt his twin brother also. Like... And it it wasn't about money, it wasn't, and she knew he was a twin, like, she specifically wanted this child, and she was like, nope, I will separate you, I don't want, and actually when her son, her adopted son found that out, he just left. Yeah. Which is kind of, well, reference, it's not reference, because don't talk, well, she says kind of when they're Do you have children? Yeah, like, kind kind of. Kind of, not really. (laughs) Yeah, which... You know, is that because of her strange relationship with him, or is it because she didn't consider him to be really her child because he was adopted? Because or because he walked that's out? The kind, or... That's the case for some people, which is terrible. Um, so, P.L. Travers was an interesting woman in real life. Yeah. Um, and the movie does showcase that, and it's kind of like... You don't. I don't want necessarily to veer too much on one side of the metal because, right. obviously, you know, the treatment, quote unquote, that she got from the Disney company, there were some things done that were pretty shady. Right. With some of it, they did gloss over, um, like and like not inviting her. Yeah, to the not premiere. In, well, that they didn't. They straight up showed that, and you know, but yeah, not inviting her to the premiere in L.A. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know what to make of her. I don't think I like her very much at all. I feel sad about her. Well, yeah, no, so she sad. Had a very sad life. It's just so so sad. I cried. It's a very lonely just, life. Yeah, it's so it's so sad when you're a small child and you have to look after your parents. That's heartbreakingly sad. And then you love one parent more than the other and they die. Yeah, and the other parent knows it. And you know, they're just a disappointment. Oh my oh my her it's that's what makes me cry about the whole thing. How unbelievably sad this father loving his children but not loving them enough or not not I guess loving them not not loving them enough but not being able to fight his alcohol addiction um, for the sake of his children for the sake yeah like listen addiction is a tricky thing and really some people can do it for other people, but a lot of people need to do it for themselves, and he wasn't doing it for himself. And yeah. I mean, he died of tuberculosis, but so it's not like in parts the movie kind of implies well, not so much that the alcohol killed him, but um, you know, he fell, he hurt himself, and he never really got better after that. It's kind of what you're uh, well, he does cough up blood, which is one very... Right. But the thing is, like, you see him doing things that harm his family. He's yeah. losing jobs. He's, you know, making them a laughing stock of the town. He's putting them in these vulnerable situations because, you know... Moves them from a city to basically the outback. Right. Like, from this nice Victorian-looking home with a staff to a cabin in the middle of nowhere. Right. Which, obviously, his wife is not... You know, that's that's just what being a wife was in those years. You didn't have a say, and you didn't have a choice, and she was not made for that kind of life because, well, like you said, her she kind of references in saying that not everyone should be a mother. She was not fit to be a mother by herself, Right. And she had to be, and like, or to handle a household. Right. It's just a very sad, very sad, sad. Yeah. So sad. Yeah, like, um, I don't have a lot of hot takes about the movie. I feel like if I were, 
maybe I'm not critical enough of Walt and the Disney company that I'm like willing to overlook probably just how much I mean they didn't like you said they did come to a pretty quick agreement with uh Kelly Marcel and one of her concerns was that she that they were going to sanitize uh the company and Walt himself too much and clearly if they came to a quick agreement it's because they didn't too much right um I mean, I think, ultimately, I I don't think he was a person that needed, that he really had to be too concerned about showing how he was as a person. Right. I think the other thing to remember is this is Disney's history through Disney. Disney's lens, yeah. which is, as we talked about with the Imagineering story, it's just how it is. So, of course, you could watch it through another lens and be much more critical of everything that happened but I think this kind of strikes a nice balance in the middle where you can see Walt's missteps where he says stuff like I promise no animation and then kind of like well it's an animated segment it's not an animated picture you know that kind of like yeah and like just the penguins are animated the actors are not so I like working around and kind of being a little slippery. Yeah, and not he was not planning on telling her. Right. At all. So. Yeah, those kind of things where you're like, yeah, that's not cool. But they include it. They show, you know, this and that he didn't want to invite her to the premiere because he's trying to protect the, the picture and, you know, those kind of things where you see, okay, you know, they're showing that he wasn't perfect either. Yeah. Yeah, like, and it's just, yeah, the level that they had to work with, obviously, you have one man whose reputation was, obviously not everybody loved him, but he was a very much admired and loved person. And then on the other hand, you have someone that not a lot of people liked and not a lot of people liked working with. And right. the, I, I think the fact that they did um, include some of, uh, was it Richard or Robert Sherman's biography? It was Robert. Yeah, that they did include some of the tidbits that he shared in there. Um, like, I feel like he, obviously that's also through his lens, but I, right. I think he would have shared them still honestly in terms of what happened. So I do think the movie probably did a pretty good job of portraying things honestly, even if some of it is... Well, I think also, we have the tapes. So, like, those are things that can be listened to and that you can hear. Well, we don't have the tapes. They exist. I'm sure, actually, you could probably find them on the internet if you were Uh, dedicated. I don't know that you could. If uh, Kelly, Tom, and Emma were specifically had to be given access to them. I don't think it's something that just circles around. Probably just what's in the end credits. You know what? We'll we'll look around. You'll look around. I'll look around. The internet is a vast place and you can find anything. Only if you go on the dark, dark web. I don't know. I wouldn't suggest. You know, phone calls get leaked on... uh, YouTube years later and you know things happen uh so okay we're not gonna go over that on this podcast I'm just I'm just saying they could be out there um so then let's go we've already established the villain is alcoholism addiction there is no villain the villain is addiction and as a villain 10 out of 10 scary 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 (laughs) too scary by far I'm not ranking that. Uh, then let's go overall for the movie. Uh, overall, I give it like a solid 8.5. I'm going to give it an 8. It's not because it's not good. It's because it's so sad. Well, actually, the reason why it's so sad. it being so sad is the reason why my rewatchability is more like... Maybe once a month, maybe every other week. Like, I wouldn't be able to watch... I would be able to watch it often because I do really enjoy this movie. But I would not be able to watch it too often because it does make me cry. Um, 
I can watch this, I'm gonna say, once every few months, because it's so I am still thinking about how sad it is to have to take care of your parents as a young child and have your mom try and commit suicide in front of you, say goodbye, you know? Um, well, okay, to be fair, she didn't, like, try to do it in front of her. She followed her. I don't care. It's too, it's too much. It's too, it's, <laughs> that, my heart hurts thinking about it because it's so sad. It's so <laughs> There, there. Uh, so, that's why we might have to be sad. All right. It's So, next That week. concludes <laughs> our, our episode of Saving Mr. Banks. Next Sad. week, it's podcaster's choice, and it's my choice. And I choose Cinderella Live Action 2015, also known as Marie's favorite live action movie, because it's Marie's birthday in April, and... She deserves to watch her favorite movie for her birthday month. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. So that's going to be for next week. Uh, So in the meantime, you can always reach us. We have a Facebook page, Magical Streaming. We have an Instagram, Magical Streaming. (laughs) We have a Yahoo, which is email. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> Hit Magical. us up on that Yahoo I am, everybody. <laughs> Travel back in time about mm, 12 years, 15 years. Hit us up, magicalstreaming at yahoo.com. Why I am, you'll get us. <laughs> Does it still exist? Now I'm going to check. And I, see don't, if it still I think exists. like MSN, it is gone the oh way. Oh my gosh, of... MSN. Oh, wow. Anyway. So email, you can email us, <laughs> magicalstreaming at yahoo.com. And we also have a Twitter. Stream the magic. Yep, so just let us know if you have any suggestions, any comments, just... Concerns, questions. Hit us up. And until next time, enjoy your magical streaming. Bye-bye.